Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Networks. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hello, 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 everyone. Thank you for joining me here today. Um, This is Nikki Tavias with Grounded Vision Coaching, and our episode today is about grief and managing grief. Uh, Welcome to the Life Coach Radio Network. I'm so glad you're here today. Um, as I said, I'm a life and executive coach and a founder of Grounded Vision Coaching and Consulting. I work with people who have a vision for something that they want to improve in their life, but they have trouble achieving that dream. I have a background in teaching, counseling, administration, and nonprofit management. I'm adept at helping clients clarify their vision and overcome the challenges that have been holding you back in order to live the life you've only imagined. So I've um, had a lot of friends and and even some clients dealing with a lot of grief lately, and it got me to thinking that, um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of grieving happening out there. And I thought maybe it was something that I could talk about in this show and um, hopefully help people understand the processes, what we can do to help ourselves if we're grieving, and what we can do to help um, friends, colleagues, loved ones if they're grieving. And, you know, hopefully just uh, open up a dialogue and a conversation around this topic because I know that it's, it's difficult um, for a lot of people to experience and even to know what to do for, for friends or loved ones that, um, that are experiencing grief, you know, how, how to be with them in that journey. I want to apologize in advance. I'm not sure if I woke up today with a cold or allergies, but um, I've been sneezing and a little sniffly, so I apologize if my voice is funny or, or you end up to, to experience that through our call today. Um, I do want to let you know that I would welcome your call-in and your comments. Um, If you'd like to call in today, the number is 646-716-9397. Again, 646-716-9397. Just press 1 to get in the queue so that I know you'd like to chat. Um, If you'd like to talk with me privately, you can find me on Facebook at Grounded Vision Coaching and Consulting. Um, I've been doing Facebook Live videos. I'd love your comments on those or send me a message and and we can start a conversation there. So to really begin this um, talk about grief, I was thinking about the things that people experience that cause them grief. And obviously, you know, the first things that come to our mind is the death of a loved one or a friend or a colleague, um, maybe even the death of a pet. Um, But there's other things that cause us to go through the process of grieving too, like the loss of a limb or your physical ability. Um, A friend of mine has scoliosis and was diagnosed in her preteen years. And, um, you know, that was who knows, 17 years ago or something. But um, throughout the years since the diagnosis, there have been many surgeries, and um, and she's lost a lot of her physical ability. She used to be really outdoorsy and really physically active and very athletic. 
And uh, many of those things have become uh, too difficult or, or physically impossible to continue to pursue um, with her spine the way that it is and, and the, all the metal and the fusions and the things that have happened since then. And so I would argue that people who have lost a limb or the ability to do things physically can go through a grieving process about that. The loss of a relationship um, or maybe a, a particularly a divorce can cause someone to feel as though um, they're going through the process of grief. Uh, the loss of a job can cause someone to grieve. Um, knowing someone who committed suicide or who had been murdered, um, that sudden death can most definitely cause um, people in their circles to grieve. And uh, miscarriages or the loss of a child is certainly um, something that causes people grief. And so I wanted to share with you the five stages of grief. Many of us have heard of the five stages of grief and um, the creator, the developer of the five stages of, of grief, Kubler-Ross. And initially when um, this, idea came out when when she came up with this seven stages of grief the way that it was purported in the book many people read that and believed that that was a linear process that they would go from one step to the next to the next to the next and that when they came to that last step then their grieving process had concluded and there was sort of a misunderstanding that there was a finite um, way that the process happened in an amount of time that it happened and that uh, that process was generalizable to anyone who was experiencing grief. And Kubler-Ross had since um, published a number of books um, since that initial uh, book and theory where she really clarified that she didn't see it as a linear process and that um, we float through um, all any or all of the stages of grief. We can achieve a certain stage of grief and then go back and re-experience a stage of grief that we had experienced prior. And so this sense that, um, I don't know, that it's sort of like waves or an ocean, that, that any one of these five stages of grief sort of ebb and flow and can be um, triggered or re-experienced even after you might feel like you've come through that stage. So as I'm sharing these stages, um, just keep in your head that some of these happen to everyone. Some don't happen to anyone, you know, or any one particular person who's grieving. Someone might grieve a parent and experience all of them, but they grieve a colleague and they don't experience all of them. I mean, this process is just very uh, individual. It's, it's, um, it's not generalizable to everyone in every experience. So the first stage of grief that um, she really discusses is denial. Um, and it isn't that you intellectually don't believe that, um, that there's a loss of a person, of a job, of, of a, your physical ability. It's not that you don't believe that happens, but that you expect somehow that that person is going to um, still call you or be at your house when you come home, that you're going to be able to physically do something that you've done before, that that dog that you lost is going to be um, at home when you come home or this feeling that you have to get home to feed the dog even though the dog has passed because that was just your life that was your normalcy that was the the schedule and the routine and the habit that you had had to talk to the person to be able to do this physical thing to to go to work in the morning 
And so some people find themselves, as I said, like coming home to feed the pet or leaving at the same time in the morning to go to a job even though they don't have that job anymore because there's this sense that somehow um, that thing that happened, that thing that we lost, that person that we lost, isn't actually gone. And there's a sense of shock and numbness that can come along with that denial. Many people then sense uh, some amount of anger, right? They're angry that maybe that person didn't take care of themselves or um, if you were the caretaker that you didn't take good enough care of that person or you didn't protect your pet or you didn't take care of your body. Um, uh, somebody who's lost a person might feel angry at the doctors or um, if there was a murder or a suicide, angry at the person who caused that death. They might feel anger that they were left behind, right, in this um, sort of survivor skill. You hear about a lot of folks in the military or in emergency services personnel who lose their their colleagues, their friends, their brothers and sisters, and there's a sense of um, why did I survive? Like, why did they get killed or, or really severely injured and I didn't? Um, and a sense of survivor's guilt, angry that they were left behind to live this life without their brothers or sisters, family members, colleagues. And, um, you know, somebody who has a miscarriage can feel like they were a failure, somehow that their body is uh, failing them in in you know, being able to produce a child or, or to have a baby. Some people um, experience the third stage of grief or bargaining. There's a sense of um, maybe bar bargaining with God or their religious beliefs, offering to do something. You know, they might have thoughts or conversations just aloud um, where they offer themselves instead of the person who may have passed or, or is dying. Um, they may offer to behave differently in the world if only that person could be okay or they could have their jobs back um, or their pet would be okay. And then uh, depression is the fourth stage of grief, a deep sense of sadness, not wanting to get out of bed. They may not want to eat um, it may be really hard to think or concentrate, hard to finish tasks that uh, you start, hard to uh, read something, hard to go about your life as you had prior to the grieving process or the loss of the person, the job, the pet, etc. And then the fifth stage of grief is acceptance. Um, and again, it doesn't mean if you get to acceptance that you might not still be experiencing depression or anger. It's just that there's um, an acceptance of the reality that the job or the relationship or the person um, doesn't exist in the way that they had before or that it had before, um, that the person may be gone, and that there's a learning to live in a new sense of normal. There's a realization that while the job or the pet or the loved one may be gone, that um, that the person is still alive and that there's a journey and a life to live now, even though there's been a loss um, within their life. Some of the other things people may feel is relief that, um, you know, maybe they had a pet or a loved one who was really suffering, and so maybe there's relief for the fact that that person doesn't have to suffer any longer. 
there can be regret for things that we wish we had said or done or not done or not said um, and a real hurt and frustration that we can't make that right. And it can certainly feel very isolating um, to have experienced a loss because many of the people around us don't know what to say or do. Um, sometimes we can feel really alone or just lonely, even though we may be surrounded by other people. Um, it just feels very disconnected from the world, from people, um, from the things that we used to enjoy. Now, I'm not really going to get into um, ways that grief can be complicated or how trauma can um, affect your grief, even um, some of my prior clients in the domestic violence program and shelter that I had run um, would experience grieving the loss of a relationship even though it was abusive or grieve an abuser or grieve the person they were prior to the abuse. Um, and so certainly trauma and uh, uh, abuse can affect the way a person experiences the grieving process and the, jour the journey of, of grieving. And so, you know, I really want to make sure that I make a point of saying that, you know, there are support groups out there, there are resources out there. Certainly counseling is an option um, for folks who feel like they're stuck somehow or they can't make sense of their thoughts and their feelings. They need to be able to process that, to talk that out. They want to be surrounded by people who um, may have experienced the same thing or um, that that we may have a sense that somebody else knows how it feels to go through what we're going through. And so I would really encourage if, if this is resonating with you, um, you know, these feelings and that you feel like it has been too long for you to still be feeling these ways, um, to reach out, to reach out for support um, because there are many, many resources out there, uh, many free um, and then, you know, certainly counseling options that you might be able to get at a reduced rate or through your insurance, things like that. So if we are the people that are experiencing grief, what can we do for ourselves? I think that's question number one, right? And, you know, one of the most effective things that we can do is just rest. To really slow down and to feel what we feel and to experience the grief and those stages of grieving, um, to remember the person or the pet or the job or the physical ability that we may have lost, um, and, and to know that it's okay to feel what we feel, to be sad, to be angry, to um, wish that the person or the job had not gone away. Um, and so, you know, it takes a lot of energy to feel our feelings and to connect with other human beings in, in grief and in sorrow. And so we really need to make sure that we rest. We need to make sure that we're getting um, good nutrients and that we are trying to eat, even though that's difficult, and, and trying to drink water and, and just take care of ourselves health-wise. Um, some of the research that I did talked about how um, 
watching sporting events or even playing um, in a sporting event can be helpful for people because you experience a multitude of emotions while you're cheering for a team and you're um, experiencing maybe other people's excitement and watching that same sport. Um, you're watching those athletes be proud of themselves or if you're playing, maybe you're proud of yourself for how you've uh, performed that day. There's a sense of getting lost in the competition, and certainly if you're playing, there's exercise that um, you're performing that can help your body manage some of that stress that you're feeling and um, and work out some of, of that um, just anxiety and stress and worry and, and um, uh, some of those hormones that are happening in your body due to the stress and the anxiety. Obviously, experiencing nature is really a way to ground yourself and and you and to see yourself as part of something much larger and to remember that um, that this thing that you lost or this person that you lost um, that everyone loses people and everyone loses things, and that this is part of our the journey of our lives and what it means to be human um and so being out in nature, as I said, it's just very grounding. You feel um, this sense that the world is continuing, um, the days continue to pass, that there are seasons of change. And, um, you know, maybe you can recognize a, a beautiful flower or a leaf that's changing color or a tree that's blooming or other people walking um, or, or taking their pets for a walk. Um, and again, even just that exercise of taking a walk and trying to clear some of your head and to see other things and just being physically active can be really helpful. Another thing we can do to take care of ourselves is to gather with other people. As I said, it can feel really isolating and, and sometimes you want to be alone. Um, but when you're ready or, or if you feel like it would be helpful, um, getting together with family, going to a support group, um, reaching out to friends, inviting people over, um, just getting together with other people that may have known the person or the pet that you lost or have been through that situation before um, can be really helpful. Reading or learning can be really helpful when we're trying to take care of ourselves. It can provide us information, help us know we're not alone, that the things that we're experiencing or the feelings that we're feeling um, are are common, are quote-unquote normal for the the situation that we're going through. Books can be really comforting. They can give us something to do and um, and even just give us something to hold. Even that physical nature of having something in our hands can be helpful. Uh, many people who may have lost a loved one to some type of violence um, may choose to volunteer or to advocate for a cause. So um, I knew a set of parents whose a uh, daughter ended up getting um, a life sentence in jail uh, as she defended herself from her abuser. And um, while the family and, and most people who know the story believe that um, she really was in self-defense mode and, and find it very unfortunate that she was found guilty, um, those parents come every year to the candlelight vigil that we have in honor of their daughter and to help people understand um, what they're going through and what can happen and, and what it's like to be a victim of domestic violence. 
many people will attend church or follow their spiritual practices in order to help them heal um, and to take better care of themselves. And um, it can be really helpful for us to find ways to honor our loved one. So um, it may be a scrapbook. It may be um, some sort of shadow box of, of pictures of them, things that matter to them. I know um, people will... Uh, take particular care of something that that person um, loved or or that, that meant something to them. So uh, maybe someone who wore eyeglasses, a family member may keep those eyeglasses and put, keep them in a special place or put them in a shadow box because those eyeglasses are so affiliated with the person that they lost. And so finding ways to honor the loved one um, can be really helpful. Um, in addition, obviously, to the traditional um, options of um, having viewings and funerals, um, maybe going to the the headstone or the cemetery to honor that person on their birthday or an anniversary or Mother's Day or Father's Day, things like that. And so then, you know, comes the 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 question that I think more of us face potentially is, what do we do for someone who is grieving? Because so often we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And I can honestly say um, as a little bit of self-disclosure that I have been very, very lucky to have not lost people very close to me. My grandparents are alive and in their 80s, and they're not experiencing any type of dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, my parents are alive. Um, I've not personally lost a pet Um and so I don't, I can't go to a friend or loved one and say, um, or, or have the belief that I have a real understanding of how they feel. And, you know, I actually just did a Facebook Live video, it's a little tangent, but I did a Facebook Live video recently about the difference between empathy, sympathy, and pity. And maybe that's a good, this is a good place to share that with you. So empathy, right, is this sense that we um, try to imagine what it would be like to be that other person, to spend a day in their shoes. But, um, you know, it's really hard to know what that would feel like because we're not them. We don't view the world through the same lenses that they view the world. But um, I happened to see a woman who was homeless uh, just a few weeks ago, and she had been in the shelter when I had run the domestic violence shelter, and, and she recognized me and said hello to me, and it had been, you know, 10 months since um, I had seen her or, or interacted with her, and I was really struck by the fact that, that she remembered who I was and, and took the time to say hello and asked how I was and to catch me up on her life, and she had been homeless for something like um, nine years, I believe she said. And, you know, it really struck me, her resilience and this sense that while she was in, in full survival mode, um, that she was very, very resilient, very strong. And so empathizing for me, me imagining what it would be like to be her made me very sad. And um, I felt like it would be a loss of, of all kinds of things. It, to me, it would feel like a loss of stability, a loss of these material possessions, a loss of um, safety perhaps. Um, but she doesn't view it that same way. 
you know, there's a, there's a part of her life that, that that is her normal. And so when I empathize with her, I'm really trying to view her life but through my own lenses. Now, sympathy, on the other hand, is that we've had a common experience. And so I can sympathize with what you're going through. I may not know exactly what you feel like. I don't, I don't experience it the same way that you do, but I can sympathize because I've had that in common. So you tend to find a lot of parents who have lost children end up to be um, in close communications and even close relationships, and, and they find one another and they build strong bonds together because um, a lot of people in the world haven't lost a child. And so those people that have that thing in common, that they have lost a child, can sympathize with one another because they've been there. And then, of course, pity is this whole other thing. When you when you feel sorry for someone, um, pity, for me at least, has this sense of a hierarchy. So if, if I feel pity for someone, if I feel sorry for someone, um, to me at least, my interpretation of that is that, that there's a, a difference in that hierarchy, there's a power differential or there's there's a way that I believe that my life is better than yours, my situation is better than yours. And so um, when, when we pity someone else, that can feel really condescending to them and, and really dismissive of them. And so as I said, that was a real tangent, but there's I wanted to clarify the difference between empathy and sympathy and pity and the sense, the sense that we can really try to empathize with someone who has had a loss that we haven't had, but we never really know what that feels like. And even when we can sympathize with someone, we've had a similar experience. So maybe someone's lost a parent and you've also lost a parent. You can sympathize in that. Um, you still have to have the real strong awareness that everybody experiences loss differently. But back to the question, what can we do for someone who's grieving? First and foremost, first and foremost, we can stay in touch. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to and how many things I've read where people say that when they had this loss, everybody else left too, that people were uncomfortable, that they didn't know what to say, and they didn't know what to do, so they just went away. They kept living their lives, and that that was really difficult for the mourner, the person who was grieving, because um, – you know, that they didn't want to be alone. They had already, maybe they lost their significant other and now they're already living in their house or their apartment alone. That's so very different from what they may have experienced for the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And so um, sometimes they just want somebody to, to be with them, to sit with them, to acknowledge their pain. So really do what you can to stay in touch, um, whether that's face-to-face, -face, making calls on social media, reaching out, sending cards, sending a letter, um, just touching base with that person. And, you know, when, when people are immediately grieving someone else or even the loss of a pet, it's kind of like everybody's around for the, the viewing or the funeral, but those people disappear over the days or weeks or months to follow. And um, I was just talking to a friend the other day who said that they had lost a parent and that this one other particular friend of theirs always contacts them on Father's Day to say, I know how hard Father's Day is for you because you've lost your dad, and I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you. And the person who had lost their dad just valued that connection so deeply, so intimately, because another person remembered them and thought about them in their time of hurt and sadness. And so, you know, reaching out to somebody who's lost someone else when it's 
the person they lost's birthday or the wedding anniversary or Mother's Day or Father's Day or even um, the person's first Thanksgiving or Christmas um, that they're living without the person that they loved. Um, it can mean so much to someone to be able to do that. You know, there's nothing wrong with um, uh, sitting in silence with a person who is grieving. Um, maybe we don't know what to say. Maybe we don't have the words. And maybe the mourner doesn't have the words. But they might just really appreciate our company. And the sense of sitting with them in silence might be exactly what they need and want. Listening is such a valued uh, interaction that people who are grieving or who are in mourning really need. They want people to listen to how they feel, to listen to memories that they have of being physically able to go hiking when they can't go hiking anymore or of a person doing their um, ha their favorite memory with the person that they lost or or something that their pet did that was really endearing to them. Um, they need other people to listen to those things. Some folks who are grieving might want you to hold their hand or to hug them or put their arm around them, put your arm around them. Maybe to sit side by side on the couch under a blanket, you know, just to feel that sense of warmth and nurture. Many folks who are grieving would really appreciate help with chores. You know, there's this sort of tradition that, um, we've built at least here in America where when someone passes away, lots of other people cook for them and make meals for them so that they don't have to worry about um, going for groceries or the act of cooking or what am I going to feed my kids tonight because I don't feel like getting out of bed. And so um, lots of times if we don't know what else to do, we, we offer meals or could make meals, help with chores, help with um, maybe giving the kids a ride to school or um, taking dry cleaning or helping with laundry or cleaning up around the house. Uh, many people who are mourning appreciate baked goods or flowers or things that just feel uh, sort of uplifting um, that might be colorful or smell good or taste good um, so that, that it doesn't sort of fall in this sense that there's this humdrum of life that um, that every day is the same, that it's really monotonous and that it's um, just very, very sad. We can, as friends, offer to be with the person when they go through the belongings of a loved one who has been lost. You know, how, how do you go through those things and decide what family members are going to get or what you're going to donate or what you're going to keep? You know, the sense that that person's belongings bring us a lot of memories that can be very, very sad um, or very, very happy. And so, you know, sitting with a friend or a loved one as they go through the a lost person's belongings can be very supportive. We may be able to talk about the loved one or the pet or the job or the physical ability. What are our memories? What makes us happy when we think about those things um, and sharing those things? As I just said, checking in on holidays, anniversaries, Mother's or Father's Day, remembering that person and reaching out to them. Inviting the person who is grieving out for coffee or a meal or a movie or a walk, right? Helping them understand that um, 
they don't have to stay in their house alone, that they're not alone, um, that you want to spend time with them. Um, maybe even that it's okay for them to laugh or to go out and do something that, that might be enjoyable for them or fun. We really need to avoid diminutive, unfeeling, or condescending statements. Um, and we don't clearly think that they're diminutive or condescending or unfeeling when we say them or we wouldn't say them. But for someone who's experiencing grief, hearing that it's all for the best or he's out of pain now or, well, you can try to get pregnant again or this is God's will or I know how you feel can be really disconnecting with the person who's grieving. Um, because as I've said a bunch of times, we don't really know how they feel. We can empathize, we may even be able to sympathize, but we don't really know. And you know, sometimes it's really helpful to even write a letter to the person who's mourning or grieving. Because you know, in the moment there's lots of people saying lots and lots of things and um, it just might be hard to remember what everybody's saying and what they're doing. We may feel overwhelmed and so being able to um, look back on the cards that people sent or the letters that people sent um, in the days and weeks and months that follow a funeral or um, a loss of a job, it can feel much more supportive to be able to look back on those things and to know that you're not alone and to have proof and evidence of that. I want to remind you all, if you would like to call in and be part of this conversation, you can call me um, at 646-716-9397. Press 1 to get in the queue. And I want to remind you also that we, um, I'm hosting, co-hosting a show uh, this evening, um, the October 27th at 6 p.m. with two brand new uh, Life Coach Radio Network hosts. Um, Allison and Gina, and we're going to be talking about mindset, actually, limiting beliefs and mindset and how we overcome um, some of the thoughts and, and the things that we do that hold us back. And so uh, I hope you'll join us for that show at 6 p.m. You know, you can always know what shows are coming up um, by going to blogtalkradio.com and searching Life Coach Radio Network or the Life Coach chat channel, and you can get to see all the shows that are scheduled to come and, and listen to them live. Or, of course, find any show that um, we're doing on Life Coach Radio Network network by on iTunes by searching Life Coach Radio Network or even the name of whoever is hosting the show. You can find all their solo shows that way. So getting back into the content, you know, there's a sense that there is life after grief, right? And sometimes it's hard for the griever, the mourner to imagine that there is going to be life after that grief. And they can feel really guilty about that. But I've heard a lot of people say that all of a sudden there's sort of this sudden awareness of nature, that they had been so um, caught up in their own feelings and their emotions or staying in their house, that depression, that sadness, that all of a sudden then they look outside and they realize that a tree's blooming or that the leaves are changing color and falling. And there's this sudden awareness of what is happening around them. Um, they might begin to feel whole again, that that sense of loss is easing up and they can feel like they can go out again, that they can laugh again, that they can experience feelings that aren't just sadness or anger, um, the depression, that denial. They might choose to um, have more social activity, to be more involved, uh, potentially date again. Um, they may notice that there's a real change in their values, right? They've just um, gone through this this whole grieving process, this whole growth, 
really difficult situation and um, they're starting to feel like they're on the other side of that grief that they've gotten through that and um, so they, they have a change in values. They might want to change their job. They might want to change where they live. Um, they may want to decide to live closer to other family members. You know, that, that what they want to experience in the remainder of their lives is different now than it was um, before the death of a friend or family member, a loved one, a pet, the loss of their physical ability or a job. And, you know, they might start to realize that they've experienced significant, significant growth, that they're not the same person that they were um, prior to this loss and the grieving process. So now I want to talk a little bit more specifically about um, the loss of pets. Um, a very, very good friend of mine and a fellow coach um, had a cat that got really ill and my friend took the cat to the vet and they got devastating news um, right away about the cat and had to make the difficult decision of course of of whether or not to to euthanize the cat um, right there at the vet's office it all happened very very quickly and um, obviously that can be really traumatic. That isn't what you expect to happen when your cat is ill and you, you make a regular vet appointment and you go in. Um, you know, to be faced with those kinds of decisions, life-altering decisions. And um, she was really struggling with it for a while after that. But, you know, like a lot of us, she um, just kind of put her head down, type A personality, got to work on other things, you know, and didn't realize um, conscientiously that she was um, – you know, distracting herself with being busy and, and working on her business. But later on, you know, there was just a real sense of a lack of motivation for her. She didn't understand what that was about, why she was suddenly feeling unmotivated. And the more we talked, I said, you know, you weren't unmotivated last week. Like, what happened? And we dug deep enough to understand and come to the realization that this was about the loss of her pet. And this pet had been with her for 12 years, I believe. And in that time, many, many, many things in her life had changed in, in those 12 years. And, and that pet had been with her through that. And so I helped her understand that there was, you know, the sense that, yes, she had lost this beloved pet, this animal, but that there was perhaps even a sense of, awareness of all that had changed for her in those 12 years and even grieving some parts of her life that didn't exist in the ways that they existed uh, those 12 years, you know, 12 years before, 10 years before, eight years before. And the thing that she said that really struck me and that frankly was the impetus to the idea for this whole show was she said, but Nikki, it's just a cat. And I said to my friend, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean it's just a cat? What would it mean if that was just a cat? Quote, just a cat, unquote, would mean maybe it was a neighborhood cat. Maybe it wasn't a cat that you fed. It wasn't a cat that you knew. It wasn't a cat that lived with you for 12 years and that you fed every single day and cleaned the litter box for for 12 years. It's not just a cat. It's a part of you. It was a part of your life. It was a family member for you. And that really got me to thinking about how we, um, I don't know, justify not grieving or, or making some excuse as to why we aren't worthy of feeling the way that we feel. 
And so I wanted to do this, this part here about losing a pet. It could have been your most significant or consistent source of emotional support, this animal there with you day in and day out, through great times in your life and really challenging times in your life, through the laughter and the tears. And I learned in my research that there's actually three types of attachment to our pets. This is so interesting to me because I happen to be a dog lover. I've had dogs in my, my life my whole life, and so it's interesting to learn about this. So there's three types of attachments. The first type, and I guess um, as they say the most common, is a conventionally bonded relationship, conventionally bonded attachment, where the pet is part of your family, but you don't perceive them as a child. They are a pet. You take good care of them. Um, but that's the extent of it. The next type then is intensely bonded. So the pet is an integral part of a family member. It's like a child to you. Um, you know, you, you truly feel like it's, it's part of the family. You can't imagine your life without that pet. And then the third type of attachment is a uniquely bonded attachment where you might prefer that pet to other human beings in your life where, um, you know, maybe you're feeding it human food all the time. You're literally cooking for that animal uh, for its meals throughout the day. And, you know, um, people may not realize, but folks who lose a pet experience the same five stages of grief that many folks who lose uh, a loved one experience. That makes sense. It makes sense to me as an animal lover and a person who's had pets in my life, my whole life, that you would experience those same five stages of grief. I learned what the phrase euthanasia means, and I, I hope you see it as beautifully as I see it. It's actually um, from Greek, and it means happy or fortunate in death, right, that we, we often see euthanasia as this really sad thing or that we're taking the life of our pet. But if we know that they're suffering or we know that their quality of life is going to significantly deteriorate or maybe we've begun to see that happen, that, you know, making that choice can be the very best thing for that pet, the most loving thing for that pet. And so this sense of euthanasia as a happy, as being happy or fortunate in death, it's hard to think about it that way, but it's a good reminder for all of us that, um, that sometimes we have to make those decisions. You know, my mom had a dog that had been um, all of a sudden started having seizures, and they, of course, took it to the vet and found out that it had tumors on its brain and throughout its body, and um, and they decided that it was in the best interest of the dog um, to be euthanized because the seizures were causing him to really hurt himself. Um, on steps and on um, concrete porches and things like that. And my mom felt so guilty about doing that. She felt so, so guilty about that. And, and what were other people going to think that, that they chose euthanasia? And I said, you know what, Mom? Nobody was there to see the dog go through what the dog was going through but you and your husband. Nobody was there to talk to the vet and to hear what the vet had to say and the vet's suggestion for what the next steps are. You were the only one that could have made this decision, and it isn't up to what anybody else thinks. You did the very best thing for that pet, and I trust and I know that you did the very best thing for your pet. And, and even just supporting the person and making that such a difficult decision can be really helpful for them. And in terms of what we can do to honor that pet, you know, um, you can have a memorial service. I know many, many people with children may bury a pet on the property and the, the, the family members are there to 
say goodbye or to share their memories of that pet. You can light a candle on a certain day of the week or a certain time of the day in honor of the pet. You might make a donation to um, a humane society or some sort of animal rescue or a veterinarian's hospital, so, or a vet uh, hospital so that they could maybe take care of a pet whose owners can't afford um, their treatment. You can have the animal cremated and, and keep their ashes in an urn. You can put their pet tags on your key ring, plant a tree or a bush in their honor, um, get or create some sort of headstone or, or marker for their burial site, attend a support group, make a scrapbook. There's all sorts of things that we can do to, to honor our pets and, and um, to honor the legacy and, and the ways that we remember them being there for us. And then, of course, if you have multiple pets, there's things that you may have to do to support your other pets because um, so many of my friends and family who have lost pets have talked about how the other animals seem to grieve too. They seem to, seem to understand that they lost um, that other pet from the house, that things are very different. Um, and they probably really experience our own sadness and grief and, and know that, that something is really different. And so... I, I hope that um, while this is a very different radio show than many others that I've shared, that um, that this has spoken to you, that you have a better sense, sense of what to do for a friend or family member or colleague who has lost a loved one, lost a relationship, had a miscarriage, lost a job, lost a pet. There are things we can do and ways that we can be there. And we don't always have to have the right words. We can just be present. And to not um, undermine someone who's grieving the loss of a pet um, or a job or, or a relationship. You know, they are um, very trying times. They change who we are. They change who we are. But it's part of, of our humanity. It's part of our journey, life and death and illness and loss. And, um, you know, the only way we get to the other side of grief is to grieve. You know, there's no way to practice that. There's no way to learn how to do that. You just have to live through it. You have to be able to feel the feelings. You have to be able to um, give yourself and your, your loved ones, your family members, your colleagues, your friends. Um, we have to support one another. We have to have grace and patience for one another. We have to understand that we all... Um, live and experience things very differently. And and to have patience for that, there isn't a set timetable. There isn't one way that it happens. There isn't um, something we can do to just magically make it feel different or better. So um, if you got any value from this, if this was meaningful for you, I hope that you'll um, tell your friends and family members, maybe your colleagues, about this radio show, about my you know radio shows on Life Coach Radio Network, that you'll connect with me on Facebook through Grounded Vision Coaching and Consulting. I do a lot of work with folks around vulnerability and um, motivation and, and achieving a vision. Um, they want something to be different in their lives. They're just not sure how to get there. I help people achieve um, that vision for um, something different in their jobs, something different in their lives, different in their relationships, different in even just how they think and feel about themselves. If you have a vision for something you'd like to be better in your life, something you'd like to be different in your life, I hope that you'll reach out to me.
In the meantime, let me remind you, um, I'll be co-hosting a show today, October 27th at 6 p.m. on Mindset with two brand-new Life Coach Radio Network hosts, Allison and Gina. I hope you'll start listening to them as well. And if you have any ideas or suggestions for future shows, for uh, future Facebook Live videos that I do, um, I'd love to hear from you, you know. Um, I do the things that, that come in my life that are a part of my journey or that I find that my friends and loved ones and, and clients are dealing with. Um, but if you have some idea, I would love to hear that from you and, and love to make it part of a future conversation. So until I talk to you again, have a great day and take care of yourself. Bye-bye.